We're the third fattest country in the world, and there are warnings that the crisis could get worse. And critics say the government's move to tackle the obesity epidemic don't go nearly far enough. It's costing the country a billion dollars a year and threatens to cripple the health system, the obesity crisis. Next year, it's predicted the problems connected to the severely overweight will take over from smoking as the country's biggest health issue. One in three adults and one in ten children are obese. And the figure for Māori and Pacific people is much higher. New Zealand stands out with a very high risk of a diabetes epidemic of enormous magnitude 20 years down the track if we don't deal with this epidemic now. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and this insight explores some grassroots obesity programs and finds out why one of the leading obesity campaigners is quitting the battle. Come. Woo. Can we hold my hand? Savali. Ainga Lama is five years old. Her favourite foods are apples and noodles. At the moment, she's sporting a broken arm after falling off the monkey bars. She is also obese. She's 36. 36, 36 She's still active. Even though she eats, she's not the type to just sit there and watch TV. Her mother, Makarita Lama, says health workers were worried about her daughter's weight. I thought... It's normal because in our Pacific genes, we're like big boned, and so it's like kind of natural for us to be kind of round. <laughs> so I thought, um, I didn't take it as an insult though. I thought, no, I didn't because I knew that, you know, for us Pacifica, we're actually quite naturally big. And she's got the height, she's got the height, so I thought she's, yeah. She's still on the chubby side, but. <laughs> Like a mum. <laughs> but it's no laughing matter. If Ainga stays on this path, paediatricians and nutrition experts say she could weigh 140 kilograms by the time she's 14. That raises her risk of diabetes by 80 times over someone with an ideal body weight. And it also raises the chances of cancer, osteoarthritis, heart disease and respiratory problems. Elaine Rush is Professor of Nutrition at Auckland University of Technology. She says she sees children so big they struggle to move. Really huge. So large that their legs can't move past each other to walk comfortably. So we've got a point of physicality where they cannot function and move. And, and being a child or a young person, you should be able to move quite freely. What will happen to these children? I don't know. I despair. Because it's not just about their bodies, it's about their minds and their spirituality as well. She heads the Pacific Island Family Studies that has been tracking more than 1,200 boys and girls from their birth in 2000, measuring their weight, height and body mass index. It found that by the age of nine, more than half the children were obese. She says the charts back the need for early intervention, especially among Pacific Island children. It's got to happen now. Their bones are being formed, their brains are being developed at any stage from conception. And unless we start making changes, we're like lemmings jumping off a cliff, basically. But if we look at the quality of life that we have and what's being taken from our children and our families because of these chronic diseases, then, you know, we should be worried, very worried.
The study is now going one step further with 200 of the children in the study to understand why some put on weight and then develop faster while others grow more slowly. For the first time ever we're taking blood samples and so we're able to look at the risk factors for disease such as cholesterol and the level of glucose in their blood, but we'll also be able to analyse that blood for other metabolites once we've collected it all and get a much better idea of the metabolic differences. Professor Rush says there's no time to waste in tackling the epidemic and she's not the only one. Sir Peter Gluckman is the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor and the co-chair of the World Health Organisation's Ending Childhood Obesity Commission. He warns New Zealand faces a bigger crisis than many expect. Asian people, Chinese people, Indian people get diabetes and the complications associated with obesity at much lower rates of, of obesity than do Caucasian people and for, for biological reasons which we don't fully understand. So that when you compound that with the recent migrations from Polynesia where there's all sorts of factors at play and why they, why they have a high rate of obesity, New Zealand stands out with a very high risk of a diabetes epidemic of enormous magnitude 20 years down the track if we don't deal with this epidemic now. We're using the um, baked noodles today, so these are better for you than the fried noodles. For Ayinga, intervention has come early. She goes to a program in Ōtara for obese children, learning about fitness and nutrition. They're counting the number of teaspoons of sugar in a bottle of fizzy drink. Sean Tautali is the health promotion leader for South Seas Healthcare, which runs the life launch and youth resilience programs for obese children. So these children that come to us, uh, they range from uh, age groups from 5 to 18 years old, and they're referred to us by the GPs, uh, hospitals, uh, particularly the schools, so the health centres and the schools. Does it work? That's a really good question. Uh, I think if families are committed to the whole program, then we will see results. Realistically, if you have a look at the community that we live in, small steps is very important. And if we can get these kids to actually have breakfast in the morning, then that's a start. So I have this. What is it? Me. Uh, corn beef. 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 The Cook for Life program teaches children about healthy eating. But for Makarita, a busy mother of two, social work student and part-time driver for disabled people, changing habits is not easy. Those two eat hot chips, but we tend to eat like leftovers or whatever's in the fridge or whatever mum and dad have. So with Aina and you know, what you're learning here, do you think that you're still going by the chips? Does it make you rethink what she eats? It does. Like, how often? We're, we're pretty good from before when it was just five days a week. Now it's like three to four. Professor Rush says the Pacific Island Family Study shows environment is a key factor in obesity. I think the environment is a very large factor. There's a genetic predisposition to obesity and this abnormal fast growth, but it is uh, amplified by the environment. And if you look in South Auckland, there is different areas where you would say this is not the right place for people to live. If we've got an imbalance, it's all about 
making money out of business, but not about protecting our children. So this is the Otara shopping centre, and this is the outer part where most people will be able to stop. So it's the closest part once you get off the motorway and you're driving home. It's easy to get to. Ifeso Collins was born and raised in Otara, a blogger, broadcaster, and chair of the local Otara and Papatoitoi local board. We've walked no more than 10 metres, and we've passed four fried chicken stores. And now you see what I mean about the en masse availability of fried food. So you've got taro that's going for two dollars each you've got the chicken thighs you can get and then around this side so a lot of people go for the kebabs the chicken thighs so you've got the fried potatoes four for one dollar and then you've got the pork buns for a dollar and then those chicken drumsticks are all a dollar each so it matches what we all know about the, the the mass availability of very fast fried unhealthy food Mr Collins has tried and failed to persuade the shopkeepers to change what they sell and says there are no local government powers to force change. He wants Auckland Council to buy up the properties and get rid of them. Even as a community, we've got to stand up uh, and we've got to say, you know, this isn't good enough anymore. And I think it takes, we need one or two brave, courageous people who are going to go against the trend, against the polite, courteous, humble, pacific way and say, no, that's not good enough, and I refuse to accept that anymore. And he says churches have a big part to play in changing people's eating and exercise habits. If our ministers are preaching it, if our priests and our church ministers are saying, right, we've got a programme, from now on we're going to eat like this, then everyone's going to follow, because culturally, when the minister says this is what we're doing, by the church will just follow. It's Wednesday night at the Pacific Island Presbyterian Church on Auckland's North Shore. About 20 people from young children to grandmothers are here for an exercise class. It's part of the Enua Ola Healthy Living Programme funded by Waitemata and Auckland DHBs that runs in dozens of churches around the city. This church group has just won the competition for the biggest overall weight loss this year. And its coordinator, Emi Suaniu Sofai, is a hero after losing the most weight. The 50-year-old mother of six has lost nearly 30 kilograms in six years. I was like 130, yeah, and I think that was just because I just finished having babies. <laughs> and then the program came up and then I worked really hard. Try to lose all that weight. How did you do it? Exercise, and I control my eating. Has it been a struggle to to lose the weight and then and to keep it off? It wasn't an easy journey, because there are times that you are tempted to. <laughs> um, when you go to a Samoan wedding, you go to a Samoan funeral. There's always food. <laughs> What's your biggest temptation? Because when there's a feast, there's always a peak. <laughs> Emmy's a success story, but of the 22 people who took part in her church challenge, nearly half gained weight over the year. Everybody knows how to diet, everybody knows about the risks of obesity. You can educate people till they're blue in the face. It's not going to make people thin. It doesn't make them thin. It would be great if it worked. Robin Tumath started Fight the Obesity Epidemic, or FOE, 14 years ago, when as a diabetic specialist she saw for the first time teenagers coming through her clinic door with type 2 diabetes, a disease previously only seen in over 40s. 
She says the daily effects of obesity in her job is Auckland Hospital's Clinical Director of General Medicine. Every single ward round I'm seeing patients who are morbidly obese or very obese and have medical problems as a result and we're ordering more and more large size beds, we're ordering more hoists, expensive and there'll be more of it. She says healthy living programs are aspirational but won't make people thinner and the science is there to prove it. Most people will lose weight for six months, maybe 12 months, but if you look at five years out, you know, I think it's... 85% of people are right back where they were and many of them are much fatter. So all this evidence shows that trying to lose weight by all of the methods that we have available short of bariatric surgery is unsuccessful. Dr Tumath's so sick of battling for tougher rules around sugary drinks, advertising and food outlets and getting nowhere, she's quitting the fight clearly have made no progress. There's not a single thing that I can that comes to mind. Not a single thing that comes to mind. Other than perhaps actually, and I've been, you know, involved in a bit myself, that the district health boards, you know, are going to walk the talk and they're they're going to provide a healthy food environment for their staff. I mean, really, it's pathetic that that's all we can, you know, we can think of. She says her book, Fat Science, Why Diets and Exercise Don't Work, due out next year, is her swan song. She wants it to inspire a revolt, an uprising of people demanding healthy, affordable food. And she's still optimistic that a future New Zealand government will regulate industry by taxing sugary drinks and banning ads that target children. But that's not the way industry wants it. Coca-Cola, Frucor and Nestle all turned down requests for an interview. But here's Paul Fitzgerald, the head of Coca-Cola for the South Pacific region, speaking at a recent conference, Sugary Drink-Free Aotearoa by 2025, about lobbying, cutting sugar content and marketing to children. Locally, in here and in Australia, which I also have responsibility for, um, we have relationships with governments. Um, we try and work... Uh, in, in finding ways that we can actually impact and partner to make the sorts of changes that we're talking about. But we're not actively lobbying and we don't invest the kind of money that's often thrown about in terms of building those lobbies um, to, to change policy. But we know that if we can get in front of um, the policy changes, if we can demonstrate that we can make the changes that we're, we're starting to, to, to see, that if we can show that by our actions we can reduce the amount of sugar that we, we put into the community, then that negates the, 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 the need for, for active policies. The changes Paul Fitzgerald talks about are a 15% drop in the total sugar output of all its products from 2007 to 2014. That can be achieved, he says, by groups working together. Similarly with um, marketing to children, we know that uh, we have a voluntary um, guideline and, and we, we welcome the, the time being now to go out and review that and work together with the industry in order to do that. But Boyd Swinburne, Auckland University's Professor of Population Nutrition and Global Health, says self-regulation doesn't work and the growing obesity rate proves it. Companies do have their own rules about it. There's no standard or universally agreed nutrient profiling system they use to say which of their products are healthy and which are not. Many of them don't even have transparent policies about what they are doing. They're all doing their own thing and that's actually not good enough. And we need a much stronger leadership in this space to bring them together and say uh, it can be voluntary, but if it's going to be voluntary we need to see, what, see it on your website and it needs to say at what age 
and what products and what type of media and what type of um, marketing strategies you will and won't use and this needs to be evaluated and, and monitored. So the good companies will get praise mm. for moving ahead of the pack and the laggards will get a bit of stick as they deserve. He wants New Zealand to be known as a world leader in tackling obesity, not the fattest nation. What do we want to get to our kids to be first in the world? At the moment we're third in the world for obesity. That's, that's a terrible position to be. Professor Swinburne argues that there's more evidence to support the sugary drinks tax than other policies in the government's 22-point obesity plan, but the powerful food industry is getting in the way. Meanwhile, the obesity bill grows, he says, costing the country at least $1 billion a year in direct health costs and lost productivity. I don't think we've been getting anywhere for the last 20 years, to be honest. If you look back at the progress on policy implementation in this country, there's no wins for kids. There's no restrictions on marketing to kids. There's no taxes on sugary drinks. Um, there's no policies throughout schools and early childhood centres about healthy eating. There's been no win for kids at all. Good morning, everyone. Look at us. Yummy lunches. Morning tea time at South Auckland's Yendara Primary School in one of the country's poorest areas. Ten-year-olds Fesui, Elizabeth and Charla May show what's in their lunch boxes. In my lunch box today I have peanut butter sandwich, a banana, a fruit cup and a yoghurt. What have you got here? Uh, today I have a ham sandwich, a banana and a mandarin. For my lunch today I have carrots and a banana. What does the family think at home about it? Uh, my family think that it's awesome because um, they always see people at shops buying fizzy drinks and um, apple juice and orange juice and they always think that um, that there's no sugar in it because it says on the label but actually there's a lot of sugar and sugar gives you bad, a bad health and bad blood and bad teeth. When Principal Susan Dunlop arrived at the school 10 years ago, she was stunned by what the tuck shop was selling the pupils at the South Auckland school. There were the high energy drinks, there were coloured ice blocks, there were sweets, there were the large cookies and of course there was the Kiwi favourite, the cheap mince pie. Um, the high energy drinks, just absolute rubbish and we wondered why we had behavioural problems. And often um, we would see the children walking into school with their breakfast, a meat pie and a bottle of Coke. Um, the coloured drink that came into school, that was everywhere. If there was any food coming in, it was junk food. With the board's backing, she got rid of fizzy drinks and junk food and then as a first step brought in water only, handing out named water bottles to each child, then later introducing healthy lunches. Changing behaviour with children is really easy because if you just focus on the positive, if you ignore all the junk food that's coming in and just focus on the child that's brought in some sandwiches or some fruit, celebrate that, the next day there'll be another four copycats. Very soon it was becoming a bit of a competition with the healthiest lunch that was coming in. The children were driving that themselves. We actually awarded those who were making an effort, so we would sometimes have the tip-top award. We would give out a loaf of bread to families who were really trying hard and sending their children to school with healthy lunches. We also gave out a few plastic lunch boxes. And so what have you seen, I mean, 10 years later, what, what have you seen in the children? What changes? Oh, just amazing. Visitors to the school always comment 
on the peaceful, harmonious tone that permeates the classroom and the playground. Attendance. Attendance in those early years was appalling. We had children who were missing 50 to 75% of the school year, so it becomes a spiral downwards. We've done the reverse, it's a spiral upwards now. Last year, at our Year 6 graduation, we acknowledged 50% of our Year 6 students who attended school every day for the year. Now, when you consider there may be um, cramped living conditions and the hardships that many of our children may face in their homes, that is amazing. And we attribute that to probably the healthy food, the water only, and of course it's gone home into their homes as well. A lot of schools have chosen to go the healthy way and have the water only. A lot of schools haven't. Do you think it would be better if there was just a, a blanket policy, a healthy food in schools policy? I don't want to dictate what other schools ought to be doing because every school has their story, I suppose. I guess for us it's a wondering why other schools wouldn't wouldn't make it a priority because the benefits to student well-being are just huge. I think one of the best things that's come out of this is we have built such a strong connection with our parent community. So for schools who may be wondering about doing it, I would just say be brave and courageous and do it. But Labor doesn't want to leave it to schools. The health spokeswoman Annette King wants to bring back Labor's old healthy food and school policy and ban junk food altogether. Schools, hospitals, you know, people, they're already making some of those choices. Hopefully we could do it without making it mandatory. But in the end of the day, you, you can't just say this is a nice to do. If you want to make a difference, then you're going to need to, to take a much harder line. But neither Labour nor National would take a hard line on sugary drinks. That's despite recommendations from the World Health Organisation and campaigners here saying a tax on sugary drinks is the easiest way to tackle obesity. I want better advice on how you would do it. For example, orange juice. No added sugar is high in sugar. They say, oh, that's good sugar. But unfortunately, orange juice sugar has a similar effect on your body. So are we going to, are we going to tax that when we want our children to have some um, fruit juices that are natural? It could be relatively complex. You've then got to work out how you're going to collect it and who's going to collect it. So I haven't ruled it out, of, but I have ruled in um, that we would reduce sugar overall, and I've ruled out an overall sugar tax. But even Sir Peter Gluckman says there's too much focus on the sugary drinks tax. Yes, I think it's a useful adjunct public health measure, mm. and I think it should not be ignored as a possibility, but relative to the likely impact of some of the other things that are being suggested, I think we need, such as ensuring good nutritional literacy that's accessible to everybody, such as promoting physical exercise in young people and through life, such as thinking of better marketing accords between the food industry and the governments. I think there's a lot more that can be done, which is absolute high priority. We feed our families because we love them. To show them we care. But we're feeding them too much food. This is the latest step in the government's childhood obesity plan, a campaign fronted by sports stars and aimed at getting people talking about lifestyle choices. So some of our kids could end up living shorter lives than their parents. We're giving our families too much love. It underlines the government's focus on personal responsibility, education and exercise. 
Speaking from his North Shore electorate office, the Health Minister Jonathan Coleman makes it clear he has no plans to tackle the obesity crisis by regulating. Negative reaction always gets uh, publicity because it's an easy headline. But if you go out there and talk to a range of people uh, in the street, you know, New Zealanders uh, up and down the main street of Northcote here, I think you'll find they'll say, well, actually, this sounds about right. Personal responsibility is actually a part of it. We're strengthening up exercise and PE in schools. We're putting a big focus on education and changing family cultures. But no, we're not going to regulate. We're not going to make schools be the uh, food police, and we're not going to implement a sugar tax. So do you feel confident in the end that this plan will reduce obesity? I feel confident that it's going to send signals. It's a good start, and I think it will make an impact. So what I feel confident in is that we have made the right moves to signal the importance of this, as well as putting in evidence-backed programs which will make a difference to national obesity levels. But I couldn't tell you that we're going to reduce obesity by 10% in 10 years. You know, this is a big ongoing battle. The public health people, the campaigners, okay, they'll always criticise you, but I think they have a good point as, in fact, no progress has been made so far in tackling obesity. It's The rate is growing, so what's happened so far with self-regulation isn't working. Mm. They're saying work with industry and set targets, so why not do that? Well, we are working with industry, so the first thing I did... Uh, when we started formulating this package, I said to the officials, look, you know, we've got to work with industry. So we called a, a forum together to find out exactly what they're doing, uh, to explain what we want to do. And actually, you've, you find that industry is doing quite a lot to remove uh, sugar they've already done a lot around salt you know slightly separate but related topic because in the end if you look where the middle class buying power is it's all centered around wanting healthy formulations mm. and so industry are actually going to have to respond to that so um, we've made the decision that you know we don't need to regulate around content because actually we think industry has pretty strong motivations to do that themselves and if you go and talk to industry they have actually made some gains in removing uh, you know, large amounts of uh, fat, sugar, salt some from have. foods. Some some companies have, others haven't. It it's depends what products that you that you're talking about. But look, in the end, kids need to be educated that actually you can have a coke as a a treat uh, from time to time, but it's not a good drink to be drinking in large quantities every single day. Back at the Otara Leisure Centre, Makarita Lama says the fitness and nutrition programme for Ainga is making a difference. She was 36 kilos and then when we went into hospital to do her arm, she was like 35. So that's something. That's something. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts, it would be great to hear from you. You can contact us on email at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production from Daniel Beban.